right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. Before we get into the interview, remember to go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Find out more. That should be your uh, first and only spot to check out if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about your physical health. CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. All right, we've got a great interview. I'm looking forward to it. His name is Chris Carr. He is a former NBA. Now he's a coach, basketball player amazing gent and of course you know rick lehman absolutely but before we get going do you have any questions rick to get us rolling well so first of all here we are at 314 in uh, st louis and chris and i have been friends a long time and chris has spent quite a bit of time up here in st louis and uh i've known him since high school so we're gonna start wow. basically uh understanding who Chris Carr is. So before we get started, Chris, tell us where you grew up, because that's very interesting. And <laughs> tell us about high school basketball and tell us about basically going from uh, where you grew up to where you went to college and, and your path. All right. Well, um, grew up in a town called Pilot Knob, Missouri. That's uh, about 88 miles south of St. Louis. 722 people. We're the only African-American family and um, went, attended Arcadia Valley High School, which at the time before they added all of these other classes was uh, class 3A high school and had some great experiences, great memories there. And that leads me to my introduction to Dr. Lehman. I uh, hurt my knee in the championship game of our uh, district district finals when I was a senior in high school. And one of my one of my lifelong friends, Chad Mills, had seen Dr. Lehman about his ankle, oh, about three months before that. And he's like, hey, he says, I got a doctor in St. Louis if you ever want to see a doctor. And I was like, yeah. So whenever I got hurt, it took me a few days because I people were having me go see a chiropractor and get acupuncture on my knee. And I was like, this ain't working. Something's going on. My knees are sized two grapefruits. <laughs> so I end up getting connected with Dr. Lehman and, you know, the probably the the three most interesting things about our first interaction is it's rare that you'll call a doctor's office and ask for the doctor and he gets on the phone. So, so that's, that's first. And so I'm, I'm calling as a, you know, eight, 17, almost 18 year old guy, like called, like, I'd like to speak to uh, Dr. Lehman. And Carla's like, please hold. She must, she must have thought I sounded like somebody important. So, then Dr. Lehman gets on the phone. He says, hey, how are you? And I was like, is this Dr. Lehman? He's like, yes, it is. Who am I speaking to? And I said, this is Chris Carr. Go to Arcadia by High School. I did something to my knee. He's like, yeah, man, you know what? I am so glad that, that you called. He's like, I seen, I heard about your injury, and I'm, I would like to uh, take a look at you. I'm like, I must be really important if this guy already knows who I am. So, <laughs> so from there... I get up to Dr. Lehman's office and uh, he checks me out and he freaks me out a little bit at first because A, he's got this really booming voice 
and it, it's kind of intimidating a little bit. And then B, he's he starts talking in a bunch of medical terms. I have no idea what he's saying, but it all scared me. All I know is <laughs> he said, yeah, we can put you to sleep. And it feels like it's your medial meniscus, but it also could be ACL. When you wake up, you're either going to have a cut here or a cut here and, and three little holes here. And um, you'll either do this or do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do none of that. That all sounds scary. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then, and then, the, you know, the best part about it was doc changed around the schedule and, and got me in like April 2nd. I hurt my knee on March 2nd. I see him on March 20th and he gets me in for surgery on April 2nd. I mean, that, I don't know if, if uh, I should be telling that you move your schedule around to get me in like that, but he did. And um, the other most interesting thing that not a lot of people know about, and he's probably going to get pissed at me for telling this story, but <laughs> you know, doc, whenever I went up to see him, I had no, no medical insurance. And I was like, Hey, he is like, well, what, what do you have? And I said, I have nothing. And my mom is sitting there and she's just like, you know, whatever you can do to help us out. And he is like, well, listen, you need to get this document from your high school. He said, and we'll get you scheduled. So Carla comes back in. She's like, we need your medical insurance. Told us that we don't have none. He's like, hey, you schedule them. I'm going to take care of them and I'll go after the insurance company myself. And the only bill that we had to pay was a $790 anesthesia bill. And that was um, amazing because that allowed me to go on and go to college, be, be successful at Southern Illinois, um, leave school early for the MBA. And, you know, whenever I got to the NBA, one of the first things that I wanted to do was I, I um, after my rookie season, I come home and I have my checkbook and I write Doc a check. I said, Doc, I don't know what I owe you, but here's a check and undisclosed amount. But here it is. Man, I wouldn't be here without you. He takes the check and rips it up. And he says, Chris, I don't even know what it costs and don't really care. I'm just happy to see you doing well. So. So that in a nutshell, if that if that doesn't describe the man known as the legend of uh, Richard <laughs> Lehman, then I, I don't know what what could surmise it better than that. And see, that's why and I since, wanted you on the podcast. See, that's all of a sudden. That's why I wanted you. Now all of a sudden, yeah. you know, I thought a lot about Rick, Doctor Rick, and now it's like this. It's like, oh gosh, now yeah. I gotta gotta. Jeez, that's gonna be rough. <laughs> Try to keep him humble. All right. So, so yeah. So. so, so the, Give us the so the transition is very interesting. I mean, and, and I don't you know I don't know the story of transitioning from um, Arcadia Valley High School to playing at SIU. So how did that whole process occur? I mean, did, did, did you look at a bunch of schools? Was was that the school? I mean, what what happened? How, how did you transition from high school to college? And then tell us what college was like. Well, so. SIU was not my first choice. And um, you will remember this. Um, so remember, Rich Grower was the coach of St. Louis University. No, Rick, no Rich well. Yeah. And, um, and that was part of the reason why you got me in, because you said, hey, this guy could be playing for the Billikens. And so we got to get him in and get him taken care of. And they lost literally like a week, like the second, like the end of February, first of March. They lose and he gets fired. 
And so St. Louis U was my first choice. Southwest Missouri was my second choice. And Charlie Spoonauer was the coach at Southwest Missouri. And that was my second choice. And I'd already told Southern Illinois, those are my top two choices. And that's, that's where I want to go. Coach Greyer gets fired. They literally hired Coach Spoonauer like 72 hours later. It was like super fast. And he says, because I recruited you at Southwest Missouri, I wouldn't feel right recruiting you to this school. And so he won't take me. And so then I'm like, Coach Heron calls me and says, well, big guy, what do you think now? And I was like, I need to probably uh, <laughs> consider Southern Illinois a little bit harder. So that's kind of how that, that happened. And you know what? I'm, I am so thankful that that's the way that God worked it out for me because yeah. I was able to have a, a tremendous career there and, and, and go on to do great things. But the transition from high school to college. So think about this. I tore my medial meniscus um, March 2nd, 1992. Tear my medial meniscus. You got to rehab it like it's an ACL injury because he didn't he didn't take it out. He repaired it. And so it's a longer recovery time. So I am driving to Festus three days a week to do rehab. Um, and it was it was brutal. And, but it was it was part of the part of the process. Right. And so I have no idea. I signed at Southern Illinois. I go on my visit and I'm in a leg immobilizer. And remember, Doc, they called you from my visit. Coach Heron and uh, Coach Watson and Coach Smith called you from my visit to, to ask you, like, is he going to be OK? And you were like, he'll be as good as new. He's like, he's doing everything he's supposed to do. He'll be he'll be just fine. So I go through all that, go through the summer, uh, you know, just play and working out. And then I get to college and we have three seven footers on our team. I've never seen a seven foot guy in my life. <laughs> They're tall. And oh yeah, ridiculously <laughs> tall. So now mind you, at, at the time I'm still six four and about 170 pounds, and that <laughs> might be on the generous side, right? So I'm at school about a week and I call my mom and say, hey, Mom, uh, I think I'm gonna leave. And she says, Where are you going? And I said, I'm gonna leave school, I'm gonna transfer. Cause I said, I don't think this is the place for me. These guys are too big. I don't think I can I can make it here. You know, I don't think I'm going to get to play, you know, and all this stuff, right? Just the doubt comes in. Because I'm still trying to get my rhythm back. I hadn't had to got to play most of the summer other than the uh, state high school all-star game. And, you know, I'm like, which, by the way, Dr. Lehman did sponsor a half a page for me for that. And I was the uh, Missouri State High School MVP that year. And th- that's just a sidebar, just another way that he – takes care of people. So like, so I want him to do something for me now. Doggone it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I, I tell my mom I'm leaving. And now this is, now this is 1992 tough love right here. She's like, well, she's like, son, all I'm going to tell you is if you leave, don't come here and hangs up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking like, no, that just that that couldn't happen. It wasn't like a cell service, like you drive through a bad spot and the phone cuts out, right? <laughs> she actually hung up on me. I get a dial tone. I'm like, oh boy. So, I, and I didn't speak to her. Like when I call home, she wouldn't take my call for like <laughs> all the way into like the first of November. And this was like August 29th. It was like really early. And she was like, if you leave, don't come here. So I'm stuck. And I'm doubting myself and everything. But then I, I, I had an unbelievable mentor in Ashraf Amaya. He was a senior. 
And he's like, the only way you're going to make it is you just got to learn how to work harder than you've ever worked in your life. He said, mm -hmm. you're a freshman. You only think you know what it takes to make it. And you have no idea. And I was like, okay. So I said, and you know, and that's the difference in generations now versus, versus then. I had a guy tell me, he's like, this is what you need to do to make it. There was no question. There was no like, why well, I need to figure it out on my own. He said, every time you're not on the court with the first 10 guys, he said, you're going to run two sprints down and back and do 10 pushups. And he says, and then when they change it out, when they sub people out, he's like, if you're not in on the second one, you're going to run two sprints down and back and do 10 more pushups. And you're going to do that every time in practice. So even when he would sub out and I wouldn't get subbed in, he would grab me and say, come on, let's go. And we had run two sprints down and back and do 10 pushups. And we got to, after the first week, then he said, now we got to do 15. Now we got to do 20. And he said, and we're going to do this until you're either in such good shape that you can't help but be in the rotation or that you learn how to work hard enough to be in the rotation. And that was, that was the, that was the deal in practice. And I didn't need anybody to tell us like, Hey, this dude said, do this and I'll play. So I'm going to do it. And then I got an opportunity to play against. So I got my first did not play in my career. Our opening night of the regular season. I played in the exhibition season, played okay, but we get to opening night and I don't play. And coach comes out after the game and I'm standing there talking to my mom and she's, she's not saying anything to me because she don't know what to say. I'm sad. And she's just like, she looks at my coach and she says, hey, is he working hard enough? <laughs> and he says, he says, well, Pearly May, you know, he says he, he could, he could uh, work a little harder. And she looked at him and she looked at me and I knew what that looked meant. I might get a beating here in the gym. Right. <laughs> and uh, he walks away and says, and she says to me, she grabs me by my sweatshirt. And she says, don't ever let somebody tell me that you're not working as hard as you can to be the best you can be. Okay. And that was it. There was no, there was no discussion. There was no debate. There was, there were hierarchies of the rules of life. There was, you could call the police, you could call my <laughs> high school coach, but if it got to the point where anybody said, I'm going to call your mom, that was DEFCON 5. There was no, don't call Pearly May Carter. Don't just, please, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Don't call her. All right. And so from that point on, I just, I just kept doing the work, kept doing the work. And then we come to St. Louis University, uh, December 6th of my freshman year. And I sub in at the uh, 12 minute media timeout. And I play the, the last 12 minutes of the game and I play both overtimes. And, you know, and then we transition and we go about a week later, we go to University of Missouri. We lose in, dub in double overtime again. I played the last eight minutes of the game and I played in both overtimes. And then I was like, man, I'm starting to play a little bit. This is, this is good. And my coach told me, he says, do you want to, you want to continue to play? I was like, yeah. He said, here's what you do. So you're on the court, you're option five. He says, if there's, if you can't dunk it, or catch it in the air and lay it up. You are not to dribble. You are not to shoot. If you can't do, you do anything else, you won't play. That was easy math for me. I want to play. Just don't take no shots. Now, that, that ended up working out well for me because I ended up having a great freshman year. We go to the NCAA tournament. Um, we, and by the time we get to the end of the season, we play Duke in the NCAA tournament. I'm the Chevrolet player of the game. When we play them, 10 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks. 
And that was the first time I ever thought about going to the NBA. And we, I played against Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, Cherokee Parks, Antonio Lang. They had just won a national championship. And we play against them in the NCAA tournament. And I have a double-double. And these guys are all seeking me out after the game to say, man, dude, you played a great game. You, man, you're awesome, man. You're really good. I was like, that was the first time that I ever really, like, it ever hit my brain that I had a chance at being able to be a professional basketball player. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work as hard as I can to be the best I can be because someday I'm going to have a son and we'll be watching the NBA game and, and I'll look out there and I'll be like, man, dad, why didn't you play in the NBA? And I would, you, this would hurt more than anything. And I'd hate to have to look at my son and say, well, if I had worked harder, I could have made it <laughs> because then that's building and built in excuse for him that you don't have to work hard in anything that you do in life. And then you just have an excuse. And so that was one of my biggest things. So someday I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have to justify why I'm tall for no reason, basically. <laughs> and, and so that was, that was just what I did. And so as I go through the perils of, of, you know, going through having a good sophomore year, getting snubbed for Missouri Valley, all the all Missouri Valley team, my sophomore year, then getting snubbed for the MVP of the Valley tournament. After I have, I still to this day have a Missouri Valley conference tournament record for most rebounds in a game. I had 19 rebounds in the semifinal game against Bradley, 13 offensive rebounds. Oh. And I, and we win the game and listen, listen, so let me, let me, let me hit you with this one. And you tell me, so think about this. Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl last year. And, and my wife would tell me, she is like, you don't hold on to anything in life, do you? And I was like, there's certain things in life that you hold on to because they're key factors in what drives you for success. This is one of those things. We win the Missouri Valley Conference, qualify for the NCAA tournament. And so quite naturally, it's like Tom Brady won the Super Bowl last year, right? Has a really good game. They play again. What if they would have walked out on the stage and said, and the NFL Super Bowl MVP goes to Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> when, when, does that, when does that happen? When does that happen? They gave the most valuable player trophy to Cam Johnson from Northern Iowa. I was like, I don't even understand how that happens. But I was just, I was dumbfounded. And so I was like, okay, obviously I have more to do. So then I had that chip on my shoulder all through the summer, through my workouts and through everything. And, you know, then now I've grown an inch and a half, almost two inches. And I've put on about 20, 23, 24 pounds of, of muscle. Now I'm a different guy. And so that kind of helped catapult me to get into having an opportunity to have a chance at the NBA. And, and, and tell us about that. So the, what's that transition? You're, you're, you're at SIU. You guys are actually – you know, a national force making a tournament, et cetera. Then, then how'd you transition from, from college to all of a sudden you're in the NBA? How'd that work? Well, it was, it was, it was a great, at the time it was a great decision. Looking back, I probably could have done it better because I would have told everyone that would have listened to me starting my junior year that I'm leaving school for the NBA at the end of this year which is now the way that guys do it at the time. I didn't realize that you needed like a media blitz behind your name to do it. So I'm one of those type of people that work in silence. People will recognize the work that you do. And as a result, they'll reward you for the work that you put in. 
whenever you're in a process or a conglomerate known as the NBA, that's a totally different thing. There is name recognition, there's brand recognition, there's star power that comes with your name. And if you don't have Dick Vitale saying your name 20 times throughout the season, then all of a sudden you're kind of an afterthought. Now, I'm coming out of Southern Illinois, which is a mid-major basketball program, Missouri Valley Conference. It's a historically good conference, but it's not the ACC. It's not the Big Ten. It's not the SEC. It's not the Big Eight at the time. And it's not the Pac-10 at the time. It is below those conferences. And even like Conference USA back then when they had St. Louis University, Cincinnati, um, Western Kentucky, they had some really good schools in Conference USA. Conference USA was right there on the on the verge of being like a BCS level school at that time. So I announced I'm leaving for the NBA and I'm thinking that, wow, this is going to be great. A lot of attention. And that was a big to do about not much (laughs) because everybody's like, we don't know who this is. Chris Carr, Southern Illinois. All we know is he scored a lot of points in college and grabbed some rebounds. But what is he? What is he a scorer? Is he a shooter? Is he a six, six post player? That's what everybody thought I was. I thought I was a powerful. I was like, heck no, um, that's, that's not, not what I do. So the journey began. I, I, I signed with a great agent, Mark Termini and, and doc has got an opportunity to know him over the years now as he's had a few of his clients come to him. And he was very, very honest with me. Whenever I met with him, he was like, there's a chance that you could not get drafted. There's a chance you could go in the first round. He says, because you're such an unknown, you're going to have to fight and claw and work your way into whatever you're going to get. He says, the only thing I need to know is, are you willing to do, continue to do the work to make it no matter what? I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in this boat now. We got to start rowing in the same direction. So I'm traveling. I ended up getting like 20 workouts with 20 different NBA teams. I'm flying all over the country. My worst stretch, I flew from Seattle, flew on a red eye to Miami. And I was so, the Seattle workout was so tough. George Carl was a coach. They had Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Percy Hawker. They had a really good team. They just won 66 games, won the Eastern Conference. And I work out for them. And then my agent says, hey, Miami wants you to come in. I get on, I get on. Red eye flight from Seattle, Washington, fly all the way to Miami. And then I have to, I have to rest for a whole day because I'm just zapped. And then we get up the next morning and have the hardest individual workout I've ever had in my entire life. But that was, that was part of the process. I worked out for Cleveland, New York, San Antonio, worked out for so many different teams and, and everything was kind of the same way. Everybody was like, wow, we weren't expecting you to do what you did. And ultimately my best workout was um, for the Phoenix Suns. And I had a, I missed two shots in a 50 minute shooting workout. And then after that was after they tested all of my physical, my, vi- my vertical jump, my um, three quarter court sprint, my um, NBA pro agility test, and everything. They tested all that stuff. And they were like, wow, wow this guy is something. So, that process was was uh, very very interesting to to go through as a young player, and it's it. I'm curious to how guys do it now. Now everybody's different. Everything's different. Nobody flies to people. They have one workout. They fly everybody in. They do one physical, um, and then they set up interviews with all the GMs and and uh, presidents and head coaches. They'll sit up and they'll talk to them a little bit. 
They'll go do some drills that are catered to only make them look good. They never have to play one-on-one. They never have to compete with anyone. And then they, it's like, thanks for coming guys. Hope you guys have a good dinner and best of luck, you know, and um, NBA teams have to gauge their future on a guy that they have no idea what his true DNA is, is made of because guys won't fly to teams to, to interview. I had to fly and interview with every team. I had to sit down with every GM, every president, every director, player personnel, and, and sit there and yes, sir. No, sir. Don't salt your steak before you taste it. Cause it's, it makes you <laughs> impulsive. I mean, I mean, in all of the things, right. And make sure you look them in the eye, firm handshake. And now it's like, guys, like, Hey, I'll text you. It's like, what are you going to learn about somebody through a dug on computer screen or, you know, phone screen, but it's, it's just different now. And that, and I am thankful that I got a chance to go through that because it, it definitely makes you value and appreciate it that much more. And, and, and tell us about your workouts in the NBA. I mean, how tough were they or not tough were they? Um, you know, you, 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 you played for some coaches that had historically famous, long, terrible practices. But, but what was it like workout-wise? Uh, and, 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 and then tell us about the level of talent in the NBA. I, mean, I think it's underappreciated. I don't think the average person sitting at home listening to this is, has any idea of how talented um, – these guys are so so give us your 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 workout regimen and 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 tell us a little bit about the day-to-day in the nba yeah well my well off season is always interesting and once you connected me with uh bob kersey you know i came back every summer and would spend time working with him and working on speed and conditioning and and everything and explosiveness and that was that was huge for me, far and away, one of the best things that I did in my off-season regimen, right? Um, you you kind of – I learned over the course of time that you only can prepare yourself to a point because your body is going to naturally break down going through two-a-days and, and practicing sometimes six, seven hours a day for training camp for a whole month. I mean, your body is just going to go through it. Um, my first experience with training camp was not probably I went to a veteran team. I was Phoenix Suns. Charles Barkley is there. Kevin Johnson, AC Green, Wayman Tisdale, God rest his soul, uh, Joe Klein. I mean, so myself, Michael Finley, we're the young guys in the group. We, we had a veteran team. So when we went to training camp, it was we'd, we'd get up, we'd lift weights in the morning. We'd do some agility stuff. And then we would do some shooting drills the young guys. And then we would come back in the evening time from five to eight at night. We would go through defensive rotations. We'd go through some offensive stuff and then we'd scrimmage and then be like, all right, great job today guys. And I was like, man, NBA, I've spent so much time wondering and worried about, am I in shape? Am I good enough? And this, that, and the other. And I get to that. I'm like, man, I work harder than this on my own, you know? And it, it was, it was, it was a facade. Trust me. It was a facade to epic proportion. <laughs> so then I leave, I leave Phoenix and I go to Minnesota and flip Saunders, you know, guy, guy rest his soul is Kevin Garnett's second year. Stephon Marbury's a rookie, Tom Gugliotta, you know, they made some trades to get some guys. And my first year up there, they said, you got to be in the building by eight 30. I'm like, man, that's early. Okay. Eight 30 in the morning. You're in, so I show up at 8.30. Everybody's already dressed. I'm like, man, what, did, I, did I not get the memo? They're like, no, we started 8.30. I was like, 
Oh, I, I thought you, okay, yeah, no problem. So I, I get dressed late to practice. First day, fine, already. You're fine for being late. I'm like, I wasn't even late. I was here, but wasn't dressed <laughs> for practice. So here's how practice went. We had go out on the court for an hour, and we would go through stuff. We had just walked through, like, go through the, the whatever our theme was for the day. If it was going to be ball screen coverage, um, post-trap coverage, post-traps and rotations, um, high ball screen coverage, um, how to guard certain stuff. We would take an hour and we'd walk through it and we'd go through it. Then we'd go into the locker room for 10 minutes and we'd watch it on film, like how it looks like live. So I'm thinking, man, this is going to be easy. No, 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 no. Now you're about to get loose and you're going to practice for two and a half hours. And then you're going to come back that night and do that again. And we did that for 27 straight days. <laughs> And I thought I was going to die. I literally thought that I was going to die because I had never been through that much stuff collectively in a day. I mean, I love to play pickup, love to work out, love to lift weights, love to go to the track. But I'd never done that much that's so mentally, it's probably more mentally um, draining than it is physical. Learning new terminology, learning about guys. And and now you're you're trying to prove a point like I deserve to play and on three-year contract. So you, you're, you're fighting all of that stuff as well. And it's just like, it's, it's hard. And, you know, that once you get into it, once you condition your body to do it, then it's not nearly as hard. But that's a, I learned then, I was like, man, I got to be in much better shape in the off season. So I really, really focused in on my, on my diet, really focused. And I'm not a guy that carried a lot of body fat anyway. Focused in on my diet, focused in on, on honing in on my, my workout regimen. And then I went from like 195 pounds to like 222 pounds. And then they accused me of being on steroids. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, no, I, I had a great diet and, you know, I was lifting weights really heavy. And, but that made such a big difference for, in terms of my overall durability for the year. And that, that, that helped me out through the rest of my career, but workouts at doing season, you know, the one thing that people don't understand, I used to get this all the time. He would walk up to me and say, you're so much bigger in person than what I thought you were. And I'm like, I'm standing next to Kevin Garnett at 7'2". <laughs> Stanley Roberts is 7'2". Tom Gugliotta, 6'10". I'm always standing next to them, so I look little. But then when, you, when people see you in real life, they're like, wow, you're really big. It's like, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever you, whatever you say. And so that's the first thing. And then people, the other thing people say, the misnomer is, Oh, everybody in the NBA moves slow. It looks so slow. And I'm like, what you don't realize is when everybody's moving at a high rate of speed, everything looks it's like driving on the Autobahn. You know, like the first time driving on Autobahn, you'd think, oh, my gosh, everybody's driving super fast. You drive on there 100 kilometers, you're going to be like, well, I'm just keeping up with traffic, but you're driving, you know, 140 mile per hour. And it's not even a, it's a, nothing to you, right? The same way in the NBA, like you, you, you don't realize that you got these seven foot men moving with a grace and dexterity of a guy that's six foot tall. And you don't realize the amount of space that they take up, the, the length of their stride, the amount of stuff, the distance that they take up from fingertip to fingertip. You just you don't really have a true understanding of that unless you can sit courtside and really take it in. It's kind of like. My first time going to a Vikings game, being down on the football field, Chris Carter is a friend of mine. He's like, hey, come watch us play 
I'm gonna get you a sideline pass. And I didn't realize how fast receivers move. And I didn't realize how hard they got hit. And that was in an era where you could like lower your helmet. You could really pop guys. I talked to Chris after the game. I was like, how many broken bones do you get a day? And, you know, I'm thinking like he's getting his ribs broken like every, cause you know, Chris was big on, you know, picking up short yardage. You know, he is also, he is one of the receivers that in that era that would run across the middle. Um, he had run a ton of slant routes because yeah. he was a, a, a slot receiver. So he was running, he had great hands, but he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but he could catch the ball and he could take a hit and he could go to the down with the ball. And he said, the hits that you hear, he says, that's what you want. He says, the ones that you don't hear are the ones that hurt the most. And I was like, boy. And I was like, I, I couldn't do it. I said, I get hit like that once. I'm taking off my helmet. I'm sitting <laughs> on the ground saying, I'm out of here. And um, so that's one thing that people don't really understand about the NBA is like, you're watching Giannis Antetokounmpo, the way he moves. And you're like, oh my gosh. It's like, he, it's like the things that he does on the court, the things that Kevin Durant does on the court, it's like so unworldly, unimaginable that people can't grasp the things that they do because it's so special. And then it, it just becomes commonplace. Well, he's been doing it for 13 years. I'm used to seeing it. It's no big deal. It's just what's it mean? It's Kevin Durant. It's like, it's, it's, you'll, you'll never see guys like that ever again in your life. And it's, it's pretty special whenever you, whenever you think about it. And I'm always thankful. Every day I went to an NBA locker room and I looked at, I turned that jersey around and looked at my name on my jersey. I'd smile. I was like, that is me, you know, because I was always like, this, this is a dream. Don't wake me up. Let me keep sleeping because this is this is the best. This is the best dream in the world. And so. Now we're going to pivot just a little bit and, and you're going to tell me about Syracuse University basketball, women's Syracuse University basketball. What do you know about that? Um, I know that. Right now, they are in a huge transition phase. Okay. Um, because they moved on from their coach this summer through amid allegations that were made by some former players that that they didn't wait for the re- they hire. So help me with understand this. So you hire somebody. It's like you want to you want to you want to investigate Scott McKenzie. <laughs> All right. And so you're gonna hire a private investigator. And you want to investigate Mr. McKenzie here. And before the private investigator brings back any information on him, you just say, I'm not working with you anymore. And Scott would be like, well, you didn't even wait to see what, what they found out. I'm not a bad guy. I just might look a little bit weird, but I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> right. And so, you know, that's the same thing that happened there. They, they go through this investigation to try mm-hmm. to find if all of these allegations can be substantiated. And then they, they ask them, anytime you see the mutually agreed to part ways, it's never mutual. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's, it's just not. And so, but this is when you know schools are in the wrong. And this is the, the, the subsequent problem with the NCAA today. They give the coach $2.42 million to walk away because they don't want to have to answer the question of whatever it is. And to me, that's really, it's mind boggling. And I never want to hear another school say, we don't have money. You are lying, <laughs> emphatically lying because they wrote the man a check 
10 days from the time that they told them we're going to part ways. And the question was, were we going to see what the investigation says before you decide to do this? No, we just decided we're just going to part ways. So they're in a huge state of flux right now. Um, I do think that they are doing some things better. They had a really big win this past weekend in the um, ACC Big Ten Challenge over Ohio State. Um, and so I was very, very proud of my daughter. She had uh, nine points, nine rebounds in the game. She didn't shoot it great. She is struggling with a – she got a bruised kneecap. And so she's struggling through that a little bit. But, um, yeah, they're, they're doing some things. I think they'll probably beat some bad teams and they'll struggle against some really good teams. Um, historically, I mean, just in 2016, they played the national championship game and they have an opportunity to be good, but I think they have so much disarray there that's going to be really hard for them. And it's, and it's unfortunate because it's a disservice to the young women that are, that are on the team. And, and tell us about where your daughter was before she was at uh, Syracuse. She was at, she was at Kansas state university. She is a, a three-year starter, um, started like, um, like I want to say, 90 of 92 games at Kansas State. She was a big, all Big 12 freshman freshman team as a freshman. Um, she was on the conference leaders in, in three-point shooting as a sophomore. And then she was top 10 in the conference in scoring as a, as a junior. And um, she decided that she wanted to um, transfer after her junior year because of um, philosophical differences with the coach. She didn't feel that his he had a good enough grasp on discipline with the culture of the team. And she just subsequently made a decision as a 20 year old, 21 year old woman that she wanted something different. And she wants, she aspires to be a WNBA basketball player. And she's like, I want to get on a path that somebody's going to help me get there and not just use me just to use me. And then whenever I'm done, I'm done. And, and, and along those same lines, you're in the NBA, you played in college. Tell us about, the three, two or three greatest basketball players you played against, and 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 what can you tell us about them? Oh well, I mean, it, the the sentence. I mean, it is no no question. Michael Jordan is the greatest ever, and there's no no one, there's no argument that can be made um, for anything that doesn't substantiate that. Um, and he was. He was special. I always consider special, like iconic talents that they could step into any sport and be successful. And Michael Jordan proved that he went and played, got made it to triple A with the Chicago White Sox. Guy hadn't touched a baseball or a bat in almost 20 years and just picks it up and says, this is what I'm going to try to do and makes it along that far. It actually Hits a few home runs, has a reputable batting average. I think he's batting like mid 250s, 250s to 280s, which is for somebody that it's not like he played four years of high school, four years of college, and then went through the summer league farm system and then played two or three years of single A, then two, couple years of double A. And then now he gets to triple A and he's doing that. He did that in one year. He did that in one offseason. That's like you can't you, but Michael Jordan would equally have been an unbelievable wide receiver in the NFL. I think that if you would have put him on a soccer field, I think he would have been 
learn to be really good as a soccer player. Um, tennis, obviously him, him golf. And we've heard about his, his golf heroics. So he's, he's a generational athlete above and beyond. Like Jerry, Jerry Rice would be one of the, Barry Bonds would be one of those type of guys. Randy Moss would be one of those type of guys that Deion Sanders, um, coach, um, Brian Jordan. I mean, I mean, those guys could play anything at Marshall Falk. They could just pick up and do anything that they wanted to do. And there was nothing that could stop them. If they wanted to be the, at the height of their profession in whatever sport they chose to be in. And Kobe Bryant was another one that was, it was the same way. I'm probably going to be more biased to guards because I was a guard. So um, Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul. He's another one that's one of the best two guys I ever had the privilege of playing against, playing with, whatever. And then the third guy would be probably a tie in different ways between Kevin Garnett and Charles Barkley mm. because they were so – now their makeup is the same. They're both nuts. <laughs> okay, so – but how they go about their business, Kevin Garnett is a seven-foot-two wing player that came into the NBA as a small forward – dribbling, shooting jump shots, slashing to the basket. Charles Barkley is a six foot four and a half power forward <laughs> at 313 pounds with a 44 inch vertical jump. And he posting up and he's leading the NBA and rebounding and points in the paint. I mean, two opposite ends of the spectrum, but both of them score over 20,000 points, grab over 10,000 rebounds, have over five, 4,000 blocks. I mean, it's just... It's just you can't you can't quantify how special that is, and you know those guys are are, are amazing. I mean, Kobe to come into the NBA as a as an eighteen year old and to be able to have the career that he had and the longevity that he had um, was bar bar none. I mean, in his mind, he felt like he was as good as Michael Jordan, if not better, and it was that makeup that allowed him to get close. But whenever you look at it from any direction that you want to look at it, it was Michael, then it's Kobe, he's close. And then it's everybody else. And it's not even, and then it's just not even close from there. I do think a guy that's getting into that realm is Kevin Durant from a scoring standpoint. He's a he's special with his ability to shoot the ball and handle the ball and be as cat quick as he is and to maintain durability despite having this type of frame that he has is, is really amazing to me. It's like his body weight has stayed within seven pounds of when he came into the NBA. And that's after going through taking off almost a year and a half with an Achilles injury. And he still hadn't got heavy. He still hadn't gotten muscular. He's just kind of just same dude, hmm. but he, he just, he just has managed to get better and better and better. And he's pretty amazing. And finally, we'll let you go here in a second, but one more question. Tell us about coaching at Drury University and tell us about coaching in the college ranks. Um, well, here's, here's what I can say about, about that. And I could talk for hours on, on that and how crazy college athletes are today, um, both in good ways and bad. Um, I, I got an opportunity in 2016 to go to Kansas State and be on the women's side. And I've always known I wanted to coach. I didn't quite know how I would go about it. And so I was thankful to get an opportunity to do that. Um, Jeff Mitty gave me an opportunity to be on his staff and 
very appreciative of that. Um, but Doc, and you you know this about me. I'm I've never satisfied. You know, it's like, okay, well, this college about this this guy is not as good as what I thought. And you know, and I'm I'm quick to give people like the utmost respect. And then I'm disappointed whenever I start to take a deeper look at what they do. I'm like, he's not that smart. He should have seen that and that and that and that and that. And it's <laughs> like, but I, you got to remember my, my brain and my learning curve was on hyperdrive for, you know, nine years of my life being in the NBA ranks and then playing in Europe. And so my, my processing of information, my processing of situations is so much different. So it's not necessarily fair to be judgmental of somebody that's, I mean, he's, he's in his 28th, 29th season as a head coach. And it's just different. It's just people learn differently. He had to learn through whatever situations he went through, but I would never say that somebody else's situation of learning has necessarily been better than mine. So as a coach and, and aspiring to want to be a head coach and wanting to really push the envelope and push the learning curve, it's always a, a unique deal because you just, you only know what you know and you don't know what you don't know, but you always need somebody to give you the information. It's like doc, whenever I have a surgery, you know, Dr. Lehman will say, well, you got some information and then you're calcaneous and you got this and you got that. And you, and you, and over time after him taking out the little bitty uh, bones and everything in his office so many times <laughs> I've learned, I've learned. So if he says, Hey, you got this going on. You, I didn't even know what an IT band was. And, you know, I mean, that's just, just goes to show you, but through the course of time being around him now, if, if I call him and I say, Hey, I'm going to send you the scan of this kid. I want you to take a look at it. And then when he calls me back and he's like, well, you have this and this and this and this, I was like, that's what I thought, but I just wanted to make sure that I was telling him the right thing, you know? So you learn over, over time, right? Now, by no stretch of the word, I mean, would I ever even hint to think he has forgot more about the human anatomy of life than what I've ever even bothered to know. So, but I'm, I'm a very detailed person and I, I love to have information. And so I, that allows me to process things. And, 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 and because as soon as I get the information, then the process begins on how to get through it, how to get past it, how to overcome it, how to be the next thing. So as a coach have to say, you always, I I'm driven the same way and got a chance to be at Kansas state. And that was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. We went to postseason for the five years I was there. We have one year shut cut short from COVID and we were projected to be in the NCAA tournament that year. And I got a chance to prepare to coach against some of the greatest coaches in college basketball history, Gino Ariema, Tara Vanderveer. I mean, I, and that was so much fun for me because I don't ever measure myself against other assistant coaches because it's like they may not even, they might just be happy to have a job. I always measure myself with my preparation to whoever the best is. And then once I see the best, then I can say, ooh, yeah, I need to learn more. Or I can say, ooh, I'm not far off. I'm really close. Fine tune a couple of things and you can really make a run at something. So now I get the opportunity to be here at Drury, um, a good friend of mine that um, I've introduced to, to Doc 
and Vox actually did a few surgeries on him. Um, he's taken taken ill here over the last couple of weeks, and he's he's been out. And I've had an opportunity to be the acting head coach here at, at Drury University, and it's been it's been great from a learning perspective for me because I've really got an opportunity to really not just be a part of the daily process, but also be high, highly implementative in, in the daily process. It's like, now I'm not relying on somebody like me to tell me what needs to be done. Now I just get to, I see it, I go do it. And I don't have to ask anybody. I don't have to run it by anybody. Like our, our assistant coaches, they're like, well, do you want us to do anything in practice? Because I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you do everything. <laughs> and and they're like, so what do you want us to do? And I, and that's just me. That's just my, that's the way my mind thinks. Cause I can see so many different things. I'm like, Hey, you didn't run the floor hard there. You didn't take away his cut. Hey guard, why aren't you pushing the ball up the sideline harder? You got to get that ball reversed quicker. So we get, and I've spotted eight different things and I've talked everybody through it. And our assistant coach sitting there like, I only seen the guard dribbling the ball. I don't have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> but then when you go back on film and you show them like, this is what I was talking about. And then they're like, Oh, and they're like, you processed all that while we were just on the court. Yeah. And then they're like, they just shake their head because it's, it's just, that's just the way my brain operates. That's not making light of, of anyone else. It's just how I do things. So I'm, I'm thankful that I've gotten the opportunity. Um, it's, it's a little bittersweet because a good friend of mine is, is taken ill and I don't like that. He's not able to, to be here, but for me, being able to gain valuable experience, being on a college sideline is, has been tremendous. Um, we had a, a great win this past weekend against um, Rockers University out of Kansas City, beat them by 30 points. Um, we had a tough loss last Monday at uh, Missouri S&T down in Rolla, Missouri. Um, had a, had a one-point game. Our guy gets a three-point play. Referee doesn't call foul only to have the official assigner call me the next send me email the next day to, to it's like the 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 um the two last two minute rule where the referees are like oh that referee missed that that call interference pass it's like stop doing that that is the dumbest thing in the world there's no consolation prize it's not like that you're going to go back and reverse <laughs> the effect of the win or the loss don't tell me that yeah. oh yeah hey just wanted to let you know coach that they missed that call there and the, the 3.6 seconds left on the, the guy, that should have been a foul call and you guys should have got a free throw. Yeah. Well, no kidding, but thanks captain obvious. I appreciate it, you know, and you know, so we have a tough game there, but the, I was really, very proud of our guys because they had enough resolve after a tough loss on the road to come back home and lock in and get better. And subsequently we go out and have a big win this past Saturday Set a tied a school record for rebounding rebound differential in the game. Um, we were two three pointers made off of a school record. Um, we made seventeen in the game. The record is nineteen wow. for a game. Um, and we we set a record for our most consecutive three point field goals made without a miss in the second half with seven consecutive and made. And so, you know, so we're so we're taking some 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 good steps. And we also set a record for holding a, a team for a half without giving up an offensive rebound. So I'm thankful that the guys are buying in and, and that they can grasp what I'm teaching them. 
and getting a chance to watch them grow. Now we'll say young men are knuckleheads and the, this generation of athletes is, is amazing that they have to failure is their teacher. And you can tell them something and say, okay, I need you to do that. They'll go out and screw it up. And then they're like, Oh, that's my coach. That's on me. That's my fault. And then they'll do it right the next time. It's like, but why did you have to fail to, to really grasp that concept? I don't, I don't get it. Oh yeah. Coach, man. I I don't know. I I just thought, and I said, stop thinking, stop thinking because you're terrible at it. Don't think, (laughs) just listen to what I'm saying and do, you'll be okay. So, you know, but Hey, they're, they're great young, young men. And I'm, I'm very proud of them. Happy to be coaching them. So it's been a, been a lot of fun. So Chris, this has been amazing as always. So Chris just has an amazing memory. I mean, he's talking about 1992. I can't remember. I was like that. I was getting all distracted. Going, son of a gun. He's got it down to the day. Right. You know. (laughs) And I got hurt. I mean, and, and honestly, <laughs> in 1992, I I couldn't tell you one thing. Oh, no. um, so, but 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 that's how he is. And 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 if yeah, he starts amazing. going through NBA stats, it's just it just blow your mind. Um, so I really really appreciate this time. I know you had a uh, radio show as being the head coach, so you took your time out of your out of your day. Uh, and I really really appreciate that. And um, you know. It's an honor for for you and I to be good friends. We've been good friends a long time, and I, I just wish you the best of luck at Jury. I know you you know there's plenty in store for you after that because you're just you're yeah. a great coach uh, and just the most the most upstanding moral guy I probably have ever met. So um, thank you again, and uh, we'll stay in touch. And you know, to me, this is an honor having you on. Uh, oh, man. Kudos, kudos to your mom. <laughs> I was I was getting nervous. Don't make that decision, Chris. Don't don't. don't. Oh, he made that decision. Yeah, no, that was that was not that wasn't going that wasn't going to happen because <laughs> the, the fear was that wherever I went to, she was going to show up there yeah. and take me back. And that would have been worse <laughs> because I'm going to get a whooping in the car all the way back. So, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't going to happen. Oh. So. God, uh, but no, it. she, you know, that's the one thing that, yeah. that she, she taught me. She's like, you don't, you give your word to somebody, you don't ever go back on your word. Um, and that was, that was something that she instilled in me from a, from a young age. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a value that not a lot of people have. That's why I can, I can, I, I have so much respect for, for doc. I mean, he takes this poor black kid out of pilot, not Missouri and says, I'm going to fix you. And, Little did he know he was going to, that was going to, he was going to have to continue to do that over the course <laughs> of the next 20 plus years because he's had me, he's had me under the knife 13 times since then. So, you know, um, he, oh yeah. Um, Sorry, oh, here, here. I'm sitting there going, you're like the rain man. He just remembers all these stats and stuff 13 oh, yeah. times. It's crazy. Yeah, it it's, is. it's crazy. I've had, I've had nine, <laughs> nine knee surgeries. Um, oh, I've gosh. had. I've had a thumb surgery. Um, the only one he didn't do was my was my pec pectoral tear um, in my in my shoulder here, my pec. But uh, thumb surgery. Doctor Rick couldn't um, handle that one. <laughs> um, no, actually, I couldn't fly down there, and I wasn't going to drive 
to, to get to him. That was that was why he didn't do that one. But he did my Achilles. He did my Achilles oh, surgery. Wow. Um, so yeah, so he's got an opportunity to see me. Oh yeah, here's a here's a great one. So I ruptured my patella. I ruptured my patella tendon. And literally the day I do it, I fly up a friend of ours, uh, Mike Beckman. We fly, fly to St. Louis from Minneapolis and we get to his house and he's, um, he, we unwraps, takes the mobilizer off, takes the, takes the, uh, ACE ramp wrap off and he's feeling around on my knee and he's got his fingers and he's digging down in my, my knee capsule <laughs> and he's like pushing around and he's like, yeah, he's like, well, he says, yeah, it feels like, he says, it feels like your ACL and all your ligaments are still there. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, thanks, Doc. And he's like, yeah. He says, hey, hold on a second. He goes about two-thirds of the way up my, my, my quad. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm getting your kneecap down here so we can find it tomorrow so we can put it back in the right place. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and so, so we go in the, the, next, the next day for surgery. And now this is this the one. So I'm, I'm laying there, and he, he comes in the room. He's like, because he didn't do my surgery in the morning because I, I stayed at his house. He's like, take your time. You guys get to the hospital around 11, get your prep to get you in the afternoon. So I come in. So I'm in my pre-op back there and they're about to give me the happy juice. Right. He walks back there and he's, he's got in his hand, what looks like could be a, a cadaver tin. He's got this bag and he's like, he's reading the tag and he's like, says, yeah, he says, uh, this is Bob, the computer scientist. Um, <laughs> Sat at his desk for about 33 years. <laughs> um, we're gonna put this in your leg. You'll you'll you won't jump high after this. And that's what that's what he says to me. And then and then and this is literally like right as the ladies coming up to say, "All right, here's shot number one." And I'm like, "Wait the oh, you know, count backwards." Yeah, yeah. There you go. And so yeah, that was that was uh, Doc. I was. Oh, uh, did we lose him? Yeah, he kind of froze a little. Hey, did. Well, let's wrap it up on that note. My gosh, she's Dr. Rick. You're quite a special guy. No, he's he's amazing. And Chris, Chris, um, ah, has sent a lot of athletes, God. Uh, a lot of pro athletes, and and uh, that was a hell know, of a conversation. Guy, so hell of a conversation. No, he's very smart too. I mean, he just remember I, again. He's killing me. I can't remember. 1992. Oh, April, I, May. Yeah, I, I was. I was sort of stumbling on all of the, the, the details associated with the dates and the time and all that stuff and the details of, with the, the surgeries and the 13 and this and that. Amazing. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up on that note, which we could have probably talked forever. Uh, thank you very much for joining In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. Remember to go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Find out more. Great website. Great source of information. Do not be afraid of that site and root around and find answers. Dr. Rick, you were awesome. No, Chris was awesome. I, I just sat and listened. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> you both were, I, I even sat even behind you <laughs> and I was listening. All right, thank you very much for joining. And uh, we're going to come back with another great interview shortly.